Ladies and gents, welcome back to uh, another Engineers podcast with some up today. We're joined by two engineering leaders in the business, Jan and Adrian, who are going to be talking to us about some really interesting subjects, especially around balancing autonomy with centralization. But we've got some quite cool subsections that both Adrian and Jan are going to be running us through individually. And we're going to talk about a growing organization and some of the people change that actually comes with that. I can't wait for this one. So Adrian, Yan, say hello, take turns to introduce yourself. Adrian, I'll come to you first. Um, Say hello and tell us a little bit about you. Hello, everyone. Very excited to be talking a little bit about SumUp with you, Elliot, and about how we run the company internally and the challenges that are especially with the scale of SumUp, how we balance exactly that autonomy with uh, the scale that we have. Uh, To introduce myself a little bit, I work uh, in in one of the tribes that we have, in one of the products in the invoices um, tribe and product. And I collaborate quite often with uh, Jan. Yeah, I'm Jan. (laughs) Uh, I'm, as uh, Adrian described, in a neighboring tribe. So I'm uh, looking after engineering in the post-slide tribe. So what we try to build is a point of sale system for merchants to run their business, um, to manage it and to grow it. And yeah, there's a lot of challenges around balancing autonomy and um, yeah, centralization in our um, in our work. So more than happy to tell more about it. Great. For our listeners that might not know SumUp, and I'm sure a lot of them will, by the way, it's, it's a really well-established business with a great engineering presence, but it'd be good to understand who are sum up. So sum up, sum up for us. That's uh, probably not the first time that it was done, but that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I bet. Um, the way that probably most people have been familiar with us is because they have interacted with uh, one of our card readers. Uh, so they have probably seen the logo while they were paying to one, yeah. maybe a coffee shop seller or maybe some clothing, some retail store or something like that. So that's our biggest uh, our biggest product and that's also how SumUp started on the car reader uh, business and the car reader area and that was a bit uh, longer than 10 years ago and since then the company has also evolved and grown into a multi-product offering so okay. we started by offering car reader transactions to merchants and now you can find products like online invoicing um, accounting so a variety of other tools that you might need to run your business on the SaaS area too. Got you. Okay. One thing that we're going to be talking about today is a sum up growing as an organization to multi-thousands of people and tribalization is is something that I see more and more now in engineering and it's obviously something or values that, that you embody. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about that journey and mm-hmm. how that's evolved during your time at SumUp and why. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, speaking of numbers, currently SumUp consists of approximately 3,400 people. So it's quite a big uh, company, I would say. We're also globally distributed uh, geographically. We have colleagues in, in the US, in, uh, yeah, let's say, Denmark, in Ukraine, yeah. in Germany, um, in Brazil, um, so it's really a big company, 
And when you grow to such an amount of people and also such a number of engineering teams, um, you realize that, that you need more structure. But the more you introduce some structure inside of a company, then also grows the number of the dependencies that you have between them. Um, and that can make you slow. That's what typically companies experience while they are growing, that becoming more structured and bigger um, increases the amount of communication that you need internally, collaboration, alignments, and so on. And so this tribe model that was originally um, yeah, promoted by um, uh, Spotify is something that we also embrace. And the idea behind is to have individual autonomous units that can work with as little dependencies as, as possible and autonomously as possible um, in order to remain the, the speed of a, a startup uh, when developing products, yep. for example. And yeah, this is how we started uh, with the trap structure. And what we saw over time is also that this also evolves, right? Um, so you have to change that um, um, a lot. Um, for example, when I joined in, in January 2022, we had one, I would say, it was even called tribe of tribes. It was called the merchant growth tribe. It was really big. And um, later on, we split that into different areas. So one is uh, what Adrian is running engineering for is the, the invoices. Um, another one that we split out as a separate individual unit is the online store. And the third one is um, what I'm uh, looking after is the POS uh, point of sale light tribe. Um, and yeah, so you have this kind of mitosis if an, a tribe gets too big and, and you can split it into then autonomous units. But there's also other ways. Exactly, because that is one direction that tribes can be created and it's like, by, yeah. let's say, growing until they are large enough to become a, a unit by themselves and then they become, they have enough uh, entity to, to sustain themselves. And another one is also in the opposite direction, especially on the current times looking more into optimization with capital when, uh, being way more expensive. And the the face of growth at all costs is gone. Now it's way more about sustainable growth. In some cases, we might also be looking at efficiency. And there might be functions uh, that if you are only, you know, you are tribalizing everything, you're going to have duplication of functions. You can think of, uh, of course, product, but you're also going to have marketing. You're going to have uh, branding, so performance uh, marketing. You're also going to have HR, finance. And then there is also the phase that we might also, we also go sometimes that is merging tribes. So tribes that are doing the same kind of work, but in two different areas, uh, we, are going, we might merge them for the sake of efficiency and, you know, giving more muscle power, giving more uh, power to the tribe. And then that also leads to creations like, for example, we are creating now the go-to-market tribe that is going to focus way more on the... Uh, go-to-market strategy and our sales uh, strategy also for, for markets. And that's something that across products and across tribes you can do, but it requires too much alignment. And that's the balance that we are all the time looking. How much reliance, how much alignment you need to do with people, with teams, with units that are external to you. When it becomes too much, maybe it's time to also reconsider and create a uh, I've got a few questions rumbling around. That was that was actually going to be one of my main questions. Where are your measurements here of where the dependencies lie and how you manage those? I mean, uh, there it is. I think multiple answers to that. 
because also I'm not sure we were clear enough about this, what also is one of the aims of a tribe is also to combine all the needed functions together. It's not yeah. talking only about engineering, for example, yeah. but also having like marketing inside as you need it and so on. Yeah. Um, what um, was a measure, I would say, when we did this mitosis is really when you have different products that become mature enough um, that it makes sense to manage them also independently as products, then it's time to split them, um, trying to, again, um, minimize the dependencies that are created because you're then part of something different. Um, but this is something that we encountered there. And also, like, there is, like, if you know about the concept of Dunbar's number, it's, like, you can have relationships um, to, like, slightly not direct degree of up to 100 i think 50 people it is mm -hmm. and so just also if you have these numbers of people in the tribe and it continues to grow then then you also know this will not really work super smooth in the future so there's a good uh, opportunity to split this but then you have to really see that you find the right um, product uh, slicing so that you really minimize dependencies that create yeah, I got it. because in a way tribes should be like independent companies like that they have their purpose their mission their profit and loss statement uh, and so on but if at some point you are spending more time aligning you know and coordinating your budgets your scheduling your planning than actually doing the work then it's the moment that we go back to the drawing board we take a high level view and it's like would it make sense that instead of aligning we just give ownership to this specific group of people that are working across different companies and we just make them own that part of the business. Got you. Okay. What What do you think are some of the main challenges of building, let's call it a, a tribe culture within an organization? I would think like one of the challenges that you have is that there are some functions that need to be provided to the tribes that somebody has to do it. Let's say that it's like a, non-customer facing function, more platform-ish teams. And this is one of the challenges that we might face because it might not be specifically coupled to the needs of one specific drive, but it would be, imagine things like reporting. You are not going to be doing reporting on each one of your own uh, tribes because that's going to be very inefficient. That's going, you're going to be reinventing the wheel too many times, but you need to have somebody that is going to be doing that and is offering that to the rest of the teams. This is one of the challenges, one of the frictions or one of the uh, balances that we need to navigate to. And it's like, where do we put that responsibility? Who is going to be owning and defining the ownership also of shared components, uh, things like infrastructure and, and um, security and things like that. That is a very yeah. interesting, fine balance that needs to be navigated. Yeah, well, one challenge that I can foresee, and I know it's something that we'll be talking about today, is I'd be really keen to understand how infrastructure, security, but overall technology works in a tribe culture, you know, at tribe level, but also a global scale. You're a global business, what we've just spoken about, and, you know, where you have engineering teams based in the US, Ukraine. Germany, Denmark. So it'd be really good to understand high level um, how technology works at that level at some up. In a big way, this is kind of extracted or projected from the tribalization. So 
tries have quite a high degree of autonomy, and this can go up to the level of choosing what technologies tribes are working on. For example, the technology that my tribe is working on and the, the languages and frameworks that Jan's tribe are using are different. So our is more JavaScript ecosystem and Jan is more onto the Java, JVM uh, ecosystem. So there is quite a degree of independence there. But on the other side, it would be also, again, inefficient if you know everyone is choosing very weird arcane languages and everything. So again, it's a balance between freedom and also centralization, you know, like choosing this is the single language that everyone is going to have to use from now on to now we are maintaining 100 stacks. So that's, yeah. you know, that we navigate in that gray line of let's choose the three, four, five, like reduced set of technologies that are going to support and get really good at, use them in different areas when they make sense and let also the tribes choose whatever makes more sense for their specific cases. Um, I think a good case is also like how this also shapes the domain of some teams, the uh, the the area that they are working on, and <clears throat> some teams become also providers of services to the rest of the company. For example, some of the functions that we consume from invoices they are provided by Jan's team. Mm -hmm. That initially was not meant to be like a platform, let's say, or yeah. consumed, but that's also something that it would be a waste if we go and reinvent the wheel. Let's better make sure that we integrate with what the other tribe is doing. We shape the API together, we shape the SLAs, we shape the SLOs, so we make something better together instead of building it into places. But nobody good forces if we, from our own tribe, we want to also you know, duplicate that effort and build it in parallel. That's a balance that as teams, we need, we can navigate freely and choose whatever it's best for both uh, on the engineering side with not reinventing ourselves and so on, but also yeah. especially what is the best for business. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to maybe illustrate the example that you just brought up, um, if you know the book Team Topologies, that's a book that defines a little bit what kind of engineering teams you can have. And two examples described there are A, the streamlined teams that are teams that are working independent end to end on something that uh, also reaches the end customer. And then there's another type of like platform teams that yeah. enable something that is consumed by other teams. And then the example that uh, Adrian was hinting at was uh, one of the teams in, in my tribe is responsible for the product catalog. So if a merchant wants their business, they also want to define what are they selling, croissants, coffee, whatever, and they put it into a catalog. And that is, of course, important for the point of sale, but it's also important, for example, for audience team, yeah. for creating invoices, um, the tribe that I mentioned that provides an online store that our merchants can also use for free also needs to build uh, on some data, and this also comes from the same. And so this is where a team is part of one tribe, but it has a platform team nature. And so its services are used by many other tribes. And then this autonomy also certainly has some borders and you need to take this into account that you're uh, delivering services uh, for multiple uh, different internal customers and not only for one defined real customer. But what I found uh, even more important because it's always the product view, when we look at a pure engineering view, when I came here, I was a little bit surprised because incident management is also an interesting topic. And um, when I came here, all the tribes did it by themselves. 
like each tribe had their process how to manage incidents and that makes no sense really because um of course if you have some symptoms somewhere typically the root cause can be somewhere else and this is an initiative that adrian led and maybe you can talk a little bit more about this um, to make it even a bit more maybe interesting it's also like of course an incident is not only from an engineering point of view you're also we're a financially uh, a financial company so we are financially regulated in some markets so in some cases we also need to involve colleagues from a global risk and compliance and definitely from operations from our customer support teams because well it's going to happen if a system is down we will feel it on our metrics dashboard etc but customer will uh, support will feel it because there are there is an increased number of chat uh, requests mails and calls the particularity or what has happened is that because of the let's say, tolerance of some up of um, letting you uh, do things the way that you prefer, there was not any specific way that was enforced all across the company. So what we did was take a look to what was already being done by teams, yeah. what were the success cases, how were the teams that were managing very well uh, and they were collaborating very well with operations, with uh, risk and compliance, what were they already doing and try to make that kind of our rule, our way of managing incidents. So basically, we extracted that in a natural way, let's say, from what was already done. Because what also feels very artificial to sum up is come with applying a structure and trying to fit it, retrofit it yeah. into what already exists. That, that's what I was picking up because it... You explaining the tribe culture, it seems as if you've got a number of independent and autonomous technology businesses, in essence, interacting with one another. But what it feels is there are rules still, engineering rules, let's say, across the business that ensure that operational excellence, incident management, they don't actually stop at the borders of those tribes, that there are there's a paradigm that sits across the business of this is how we do things across incident management and operational excellence. This has to be ensured. But above that, you know, you're independent and autonomous to use your own technology stacks and various other things that we've spoken about. That was actually going to be one of my points. How how do you ensure that as engineering leaders and, and continue to grow that? Yeah, yeah I think what Anian wanted to say also before is that we do not typically take decisions simply top down and say, this is the new rule and yep. you have to obey it. That's not how it works because autonomy is really like rather the opposite, right? Um, yep. Everything hierarchical is uh, not very much appreciated there. Um, so how we typically do that is we have a process for decision-making that's called co-creation. So anyone who wants to drive a topic like Arian, for example, did with the incident management can gather a small group of people, um, come up with some standards then extend the reach, get feedback from others, and so on. And so the um, kind of consensus uh, expands into the organization. I think you can yeah. put it a little bit like this. Um, we even have a have a term for that. We call it centers of gravity. Like we have it for like what programming languages yep. do we want to use. We have it yep. for the engineering management. Something that I'm involved in is also like how can we create uh, consistent modeling of same business entities, let's say in our APIs. So there's also a lot of external integrations of, of third-party integrators with our various products. 
And of course, if you want to approach us, you do not want to have to model, I don't know, what a merchant is every time different or what a sale is every time different. Also, it's not very professional on the outside, right? And so we came up with creating initiatives to standardize that and all the people that are willing uh, to contribute, they can get together, uh, form like a consensus and then um, discuss in broader rounds and, and, and uh, broadcast to the company so that it can be leveraged. Um, it, it's sometimes also a little bit tedious work to do, but in the end, uh, the acceptance uh, is, is good and much better. And everyone who wants to be involved and has a strong opinion and experience can um, bring their own experience and expertise to the table, which I think makes a big difference in, in really the acceptance. The tedious part is also because there are multiple points where people can dissent and they can, there are multiple um, occasions for people to disagree in a constructive way and say like, what if, what if, what if. So something that for you, you know, for us, it might be obvious and it's like, it's clear that we're going to end choosing this. Yes, but you still need to go through the phases of co-creating it, making it solid, listening and hearing to the concerns that there might be, incorporating them potentially to the solution that you're proposing. So yeah. the result ends usually being stronger. And as this is not coming out of the blue, it's something that people usually they have already been doing it. The moment that you have defined a standard is just putting it you know, black and white on paper, and then it's making it clear, making it explicit, because it's something that people implicitly have already accepted because they had so many chances to dissent and go do their own thing. Yeah, co-creation is quite powerful, especially in engineering. Where do you think some of the challenges come with tribe or tribe structures? I think, well, in general, alignment. You know, when you have tribes, you have tribes because there are different priorities, different objectives. So something that is, it's complicated, it's challenging, but also very interesting is aligning on what goals we are going to be setting and at which pace. Because for example, my tribe is very small. I, I'm not going to be able to adjust the roadmap of a platform team or post uh, light uh, tribe that Jan is doing because they are working on bigger entities. In a way, we need to go and fit to the roadmap of the banking drive that is uh, way bigger than us. So it's navigating the right timing for the initiatives, and but on the other side also influence the roadmap of the other tribes. Because if there is something that is really going to be beneficial for you, yeah. also going and finding other teams that are also going to benefit from that initiative. For example, it may be improvements on performance on a shared database. It may be um, improving our incident management and starting to adopt it you need to in a way go and convince people to start going and do these things whereas if it would be you know top down hierarchical it would be way easier this is what we're going to do this is the quarter of doing x and x is going to be done or else but it's not like that because people can opt out and be like yes this is a great initiative but it doesn't make sense for me right now okay then you will need to come back next quarter and also talk about that again uh, so managing the pace at which change is implemented, that's something that it's it's interesting. Sometimes it might take longer, but we try to optimize for whatever makes more sense for that specific business unit that the tribe should be. Also from, from a company perspective is that also um, Argan explained earlier on that we turned from a mainly one single product company, like yep. the card reader company, yep. to a multi-product company. 
Um, we have tons of offerings today that help merchants run and uh, thrive with their business. And if you have that and you want to be really innovative and provide value for your, for your customers, this often goes along with, you cannot do this in isolation, right? Of course, every tribe can optimize their own products a little bit, make this a little bit better. But, but true innovation also can come from combining these products. Um, one example is that we also, so normally uh, SumUp is in a very startup-friendly uh, business model. So if you are a merchant, you can simply buy our hardware, which is also typically at very competitive prices, yep. and you do not have to have any contracts or anything. You can just uh, start accepting cash, uh, card payments through our devices, and you pay a transaction fee then. Um, but there are also bigger merchants who have uh, different requirements. For example, they have very high volume transactions. And for them, we also have new product offerings like a subscription model. We, we call it SumUp1. And that comprises of a lot of different aspects, right? You can get further card readers or our point of sale hardware discounted. You can get cheaper transactions. You can get more withdrawals from your business account. Um, you can get free invoices, which yep. you normally have to pay additional uh, fees for. And if you want to create such product innovation, then you need to have these tribes that mm -hmm. contribute to that involved. And so I think it's a strategic challenge to have that alignment uh, that we talked about uh, facilitated across the tribes that are used to be so autonomous. Uh, but only through that, you can you can really make uh, biggest impact for customers. And what I think SumUp is doing particularly well is we have a great strategy process. So we have a very clear mm -hmm. breakdown from like our strategic vision, which is a world where everyone can build a thriving business. And then we break it down over several steps. So there's one step below that vision that is that we call big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, to name one example is um, words merchants rely on some up beyond card payment. So um, okay. the invoices are an Online example store. for that. Online store, also the point of sale solution. Um, so that's a goal. But then we also go below. So we have like um, success factors. There are two types, like confirmed success factors and potential success factors. Um, like a confirmed success factor is going up market. For example, uh, a lot of cab drivers, for example, use some app devices to accept card payments. But also bigger merchants like a coffee shop, for example, are very interesting. And especially also if we are successful with our vision that people can build a thriving business, it will grow, right? And then you need more functionality and so on. And therefore, um, to support this vision, also this confirmed success factor of going up market makes a lot of sense. There's also the potential success factors. This is like um, assumptions that we have that need to be confirmed yep. and could turn yep. into a confirmed success factor. Um, and yeah, this is this. And, and from there, there's even another step. So there's necessary conditions to reach these success factors. For example, for growing up market, um, we, we have the necessary condition to provide what a merchant needs to run their daily business. This is really beyond just card acceptance, right? Yep. And um, so we can really break it down. And, and just below that, then come the OKRs. Um, and this is very helpful because it really helps you understand how does the thing that my team delivers, for example, contribute to the big picture up to our strategic vision. And this clarity is really uh, impressive to me, I would say. And that helps also a lot with alignment. Not saying that we are perfect, for sure. Yep. Um, but it really helps a lot. 
to make sure what is the strategy in, in such a mighty product complex company that we are um, because it really makes it tangible and traceable up yeah. to our uh, top level vision. That, that's where I've seen a lot of B2C businesses, product-based businesses be extremely successful. Clarity from direction of the business to really understand what are we building? How do we provide value to our customers? So seeing that in its truest form from you guys, you know, and even start, uh, and I guess that vision or that strategic vision comes from the top, but it helps with co-creation at the bottom, which, you know, is obviously what we're talking about right now. So having that, re those really clear steps is, is pretty key. And you touch on something I think that's really interesting as in, Cross-tribe collaboration can help create innovation. You've been able to build a multi-product company. The question that I want to ask is, uh, talk to us a little bit about managing dependencies and where the challenges are around that. Managing dependencies, usually, it's embedded on the whole cycle that Jan was explaining. So it depends how deep... So this whole uh, strategic prioritization that we have comes from very long-term goals. Like, for example, our vision as a company has not changed in 10 years. We keep on adjusting some of the confirmed success factors. So they might stand as a potential, then we transform it into a, a confirm if we know that that has worked uh, to be successful. Um, we try different things and so on, but the vision stands for let's say, forever and ever since the company was founded. Of course. Now, where we might have more conversations is about the sequencing. So I think on the dependencies, it's not so difficult to manage. It's about the sequencing and it's like, is this a problem we need to manage now? Or is this a problem that we might postpone until, let's say, our scale has grown or until um, this other product has become big enough uh, and so on. So I think the conversations that we have are a lot about timing and it's like when is the right time to accomplish one of the let's say big projects that we know that we're going to have to do to be able to keep on growing or to keep on offering products or to enable more uh, innovation across the company the challenge about alignment is always when the, when there's conflict about prioritization capacity something like that right this is the main point where you need alignment and, yeah. and where it's crucial and I think also with that, the clarity that is given by the strategy that is so um, rigidly broken down helps a lot. There was one example in the past, but there was also one team um, that uh, Ariane was responsible for, which we decided uh, needed to be discontinued. And then the question was, where do the colleagues go? Where can they help and so on? And um, because we had needs on, on several places, And that really helped also make it clear, hey, you can go there and do that if you like. Or also what Adrian supported very nicely is making it clear, hey, uh, strategic importance is, for example, there. And, and uh, some of the colleagues uh, then joined also the, the point of sale light tribe um, because of that. And, and this is, I think, this is the most important contribution because alignment is needed yep. in conflict cases. And then it's it's very beneficial to have like strategic guidance on what is important and what should you focus on. And that can really then facilitate with the decision-making and managing also dependencies or whatever. Um, we have similar cases 
as I mentioned, with this platform team that owns uh, the product catalog in our end, because there's of course a lot of demand from several stakeholders like the online store or invoices or like post light yeah. users that needs to be done. And, and then this, this helps with the alignment. And to also like make it maybe more like to illustrate a bit uh, this specific moment that there was a conflict, the way that we try to navigate it is like when you're leading people at some of you have more context. And our responsibility, what we can do for them is to share some of this context to still let people take decisions and to make them happy because one of our success factors that is confirmed is to be people positive. We're a people positive organization. For that, yeah. you need to offer a place where people can grow, they are satisfied, they like what they're doing, etc. But what happens if these people are working in a product and we see it because we have more context, that is not a priority. And the, I'm going to air quote, they are at risk. So then is when we try to guide them towards initiatives, towards areas that where they can contribute, their skill set is valued. It's very, they are ready to contribute and they are going to have a higher impact just by doing something that they are good at. So that's yeah. where we use our, let's say, organizational structure to guide them to something that is going to make them happier and it's going to be more effective for SumUp also. Uh, that's an interesting point. You talk about effectivity and obviously theme of today is centered around autonomy, centralization, and we've we've obviously had a heavy onus on engineering. But talk to us about other areas in the business where you feel autonomy and centralization is, is really important. I can come up with one example that's also, I mentioned the tribes are cross-functional, right? So they are really intended to be self-contained organizations within the organization. One example of that is um, HR. So what we have, for example, is we have business partners or we call it people partners in the tribes. Um, they are part of the tribe. That comes with a lot of benefits. For example, they really understand much deeper what are the needs of the tribe when it comes to, for example, recruiting. Um, they are much closer also to the people that are there in order to also create a people-positive environment. And they are much more active also in shaping the culture than in organizations that I have seen where, for example, HR is a central organization that is kind of a service provider for, for other units. Um, that is definitely a benefit of this autonomy and decentralization. Of course, there's also some challenges around that, right? So for uh, it, it's harder to have some uh, development, pro professional development paths for people in HR because there are naturally less people. Um, and you also need to have central things because also the, the examples that we had before, like people can also choose to work somewhere else on other impactful stuff also requires that you have this internal mobility. This only works if you have a consistent career model, uh, development framework, you hire for similar standards and so on. So also here it's critical to, to find the right balance between the autonomy and uh, focusing on local optimizations versus also having overarching efficiencies that make it easier than also in the, in the grand scheme of things for people to move within the company um, to, to grow professionally, to stay longer, to to um, yeah, to to have a also happier work life, so to say, um, and yeah, it's it's also balanced to, to find, um, and and we're always optimizing, uh, but is a good example, I think. And maybe what you can also see is that 
So in some of these cases where you have functions that are tribalized, like people partners, and they are embedded into a tribe, a way that people might grow professionally is also, let's say, tangentially. And it's like by helping tribes that are not big enough to have these functions yet, but in a, let's say, part-time way, these specific individuals or teams can also give service. So they're still embedded, maybe a little bit less embedded than if they were fully tribalized, but still it's not something centralized that you need to ask for a ticket and you need to, you know, it's not fully decoupled. Maybe they are a little bit less present on the day-to-day, but that's also a way that smaller tribes uh, can also benefit from this. Also, because depending on the phase where a tribe is on, they might have more constant needs uh, let's say because they are creating more processes, they are getting really big, they need to scale, mm-hmm. etc. So then you might need, let's say, more supervision or more help. And there are tribes that are in an earlier stage because we also, um, let's say, incubate initiatives. Mm-hmm. And then in these phases, you might you have way more experimentation, creativity. You don't need so much supervision, more as you know, advice and guidance, but you don't need so much control on on in this time. So then it's also yeah. something that, in a way, these functions can also do part-time from, uh, and this can be also, so we have spoken about HR, it can also be marketing, mm-hmm. it can also be our finance partners, so we also have like our accountants, you know, they are also quite embedded into the product, so in a way, yeah. they are like the micro CFO of the tribe yeah. that you are in. And depending on how big you are, at some point you might externalize that because it's like, okay, this is already very procedural. Yeah. That that's what I feel is is one of the key benefits to you know a tribe culture or tribe structure, if you like, really really understanding your product domain or your domain itself, whichever part of the business you're in, whether it's HR, marketing, engineering. But I think really embedding yourself in that and understanding it seems pretty key. I'm I'm making a wild assumption here that. You've both worked in uh, a, a tribe structure before and a non-tribe structure. If you were to go into other businesses, how do you think you might influence that idea to build a tribe structure? That's a sneaky question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one key takeaway from me personally is really to be clear about where are the benefits bigger of what you described being very close to the specific um, domain and product of the tribe? And where are the gains bigger in having something defined, standardized across the company? And uh, I think the important part is really finding the right balance. So the balance also between autonomy and uh, setting, like creating an environment with some, some guardrails, so to say. Um, that's for me the, the key point that you really have to critically reflect on and, and always try to, to rebalance for the optimal outcome. Yeah, I think there is not one size fits all with mm-hmm. any yeah. organizational structure. So I think it needs to be something that feels organic, you know, that you start how, with how people are working. So I, I think... Naturally, a way that tribes work very well is when you have different parallel threads, you know, like different business units that they can, you have a common goal, but you can optimize in different areas and they don't necessarily hurt each other. But if you are 
when you are, let's say, if it's in a smaller company and you have a single product that is doing a single thing, uh, maybe it is not beneficial to have this decoupling and autonomy and conversation and discussion. Maybe you are just optimizing for too early on. Like, I think the whole tribalization came also at SumUp as a result. Like, SumUp is older than 10 years old and it has not been running with tribes the whole time. It was also a continuous learning process reflecting on how teams were interacting with each other, where were the pain points, the bottlenecks that people were experiencing, and what I was not part of that decision when it was taken, but what I understand is that in, it was hurting innovation. Like, this was one of the reasons why it was more pushed into tribalization and it was implanted to give more autonomy, to let more parallel threads grow. And well, the result is that right now, SumUp is a multi-product company and then you have successful initiatives like banking, point of sale, a loyalty in the US. And it could have been very difficult to do that with a single focus point, uh, but it also needed a specific scale. I think doing that since the beginning could have been probably pushing in too many directions at once, then you don't make any progress. You need to have a specific muscle. We are more than 3,000 people. So yeah. working with a single goal is some people are going to be evil. When you start to slice down, you can have way more. Both really good explanations there. And obviously we hadn't touched on it, you know, pre-podcast. But, you know, it's something that, you know, I was thinking about throughout, you know, our chat. And you're both supremely positive around, you know, the benefits of it. And it's just understanding how you might take those into another business. But it was good to understand. And both of you have very kindly uh, wanted to come to this and and share some recommendations on books and how people can actually learn from some of these ideas. So that's very kind. Kick us off with some of your recommendations and, and for why as well. I think like many of the things that we have been talking about, the big area of issues goals, the confirmed success factors, uh, it doesn't come from scratch. So we are also quite open about that at SumUp. We have not reinvented the wheel. So we have read and tried different things and so on, tried uh, what works, what doesn't work, and then we have applied what kind of felt uh, good for the organization. And I think a book I would recommend on this area and help me quite a lot understand some of the decisions and direction that the company has navigated was uh, Beyond Entrepreneurship uh, 2.0 by Jim Collins. So he has like a whole series of books, uh, Built to Last and so on. They are really good, I think, on the sense of the scale of what SumUp um, yeah. aspires to build is very long term. So whatever we are explaining to you right now and you're listening is an is an snapshot, a capture of what we are doing right now. But there is a whole reflection of constantly refining, constantly refining, like going for that long-term goal with fine-graining it into smaller parts. And uh, BE 2.0 was a really interesting book for uh, for me to read on this. Yeah, I have a recommendation that's on a totally different level, but, but I think it's a highly undervalued book. Uh, it's How to Have a Good Day by Carolyn Webb. Uh, the book brings a very good mixture of uh, behavioral science insights very practically applicable in daily life as any professional in, in, in professional work and even in, in, in personal life, I think. Um, for example, explaining how to manage your time effectively, how to say no in a, let's say, polite and convincing uh, way. Um, mm -hmm. I really love that because it makes my daily life easier. And I think 
many people uh, could benefit from that. I love that in both different ways. And of course, we've mentioned team topologies as well. Yeah. I'm going to put some of those references in the description below. We always finish a podcast with where the business is hiring and for what roles and you know what that actually might look like because we've got you know four and a half five thousand listeners that tune in on various different channels and are really interested in what you other companies are building so do you want to share with us what you're hiring for where if that's locational and maybe some insights into you know, an interview process, typical interview process. So we are looking for multiple roles currently. One I would like to emphasize is a senior QA automation engineer um, because product quality is also of utmost uh, importance. And while we believe that the accountability for the product quality needs to stay with the engineering teams, uh, we also have to acknowledge that if you want to do functional testing, non-functional testing, end-to-end -end automated across uh, the channels we have apps for ios for android we have our own android flavor for our own hardware um, if you want to do that we are on the web with some front ends then you need to have special knowledge and expertise and uh, this needs to be brought to the tribe and also to the teams to empower them to to own quality themselves yeah. um, we're also looking for several backend engineers uh, on the kotlin jvm realm um, And to answer the question about how the inter in interview process looks like, so um, there's typically a first uh, screening call with our recruiter, who is an embedded person in the tribe, so she can yeah. already explain very well what is it that we are, for example, doing, How? what are the challenges why we are building a point-of-sale system, um, what are we looking for. Then the next step is an interview with the hiring manager, so the uh, potential future manager for that role. And then for the technical roles, you typically have a, either a take-home task or a live uh, coding, depending on what the candidates feel comfortable about. And if this is passed, then we go through a, what is very important, I think also for the candidates, a team interview. So A, for the team to, I, to understand whether the person would fit, but also for, for the candidate to understand, is that the colleagues I want to work with, they will be my, my daily Uh, contact points so I think it's super important and also a mixture of roles and maybe product managers designers and so on and lastly what we also consider very important we have a bar raiser interview that is uh, interviewing for do the values of the candidates match with um, what we value here in the company um, so so that's the last stage and, and then we're done and maybe to also connect with what we were explaining earlier this last interview the bar racer is also something that we usually do across tribes because okay. as any tribe can design the hiring process as they want with their uh, tas the recruiters embedded into their tribe this last step is usually done by somebody that is not in that specific tribe just to ensure that this person is also exposed and speaks with somebody from outside of the tribe uh, just to make sure that we are hiring great colleagues everywhere. Good. And locationally, whereabouts are you hiring these engineers? So we are also flexible. So we have a lot of the people here in Berlin, and that's also uh, very nice if you live in Berlin. But we also have colleagues, as I said earlier, in Denmark, like also where Arian uh, normally is located, in Poland, 
uh, in the Ukraine, so in, in these regions, but we're also um, open to, to other locations. It must be, of course, compatible time zone-wise. Um, um, yeah. And maybe also something to add is, um, like, if you have listening to us for now so long, talking about tries and the decentralization and everything, go and check the career side of SumUp, because what we are telling you is our point of view, our snapshot of SumUp, but we also have for sure openings in the in LATAM, in Brazil, in Chile, in Santiago de Chile, um, in London. So we in the other tribes that we also collaborate with, but we are not part of, for sure they are also hiring. And whatever we have been telling you about this, in the other tribes they will have a very similar but a slightly different point of view. So definitely chat with them, apply if if you feel interested, and have a chat with them. Great. It's been awesome to sit with you both and learn about SumUp's growth. It's been great to hear about the tribe structures and the the positivity that it brings, the innovation that it brings, what you're actually doing with the business, uh, the the co-creation and the strategic vision. I love, absolutely love. It's something that I'd love to bring to engineers, artifacts. So thank you for sharing that and yeah we must do another podcast at some point in the next 12 months to see where you've both evolved to where the business has evolved to and it's a pleasure having both of your time um to sit and chat about some of this stuff today and and as always for anyone listening share with colleagues share with engineering leaders who maybe have this structure in place or are thinking about this structure in place because there's no doubt that there's huge learnings here. Jan and Adrian, a massive thanks to you both. Thanks a lot for having us. It was yeah. a pleasure. Thank you, Elliot. I hope that it was interesting. It was an absolute pleasure. And please go and like, share, subscribe and all of that good stuff. And bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.